0: Hi, this is Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We're a church for imperfect people only. We're in our series, LA is Corinth. Because as we walk through 1 Corinthians, we see so many similarities between that city and ours. Like LA, it was a port city filled with wealth and immigration. It was a sports capital second only to the Olympics. Like LA, it was extremely sexualized with Aphrodite as the goddess of love and her temple just outside the city. A part of worshiping her was sleeping with one of her 1,000 priestesses. Lastly, like LA, the church was deeply divided along political lines. Sound familiar? And the whole time, Paul is trying to call the community of Christ to live Christian values in the midst of this culture, and it's a fight. As we walk through this letter, we are encouraged and called in the same ways to live for Jesus while living in L.A.
1: All right, so how many of you, you have a New Year's resolution? Would you raise your hand? Okay, a few of you, a few of you are like me. Some of you might not do New Year's resolutions, but whatever the case is, I really believe it's important to have that perspective in the beginning of the year, 2022, and to be able to have a plan for what you wanna do. Uh, one of my new year's resolutions is to lose weight. So I have gained so much weight over the last you know, two years of COVID. And uh, you know, I, I was heavy, I lost weight, now I think I gained it all back. And so my new year's resolution is actually to go ahead and to lose weight again and to be on a plan and to be consistent. And usually uh, with resolutions, I'm pretty good uh, at least through half the year or through, you know, 75% of the year. But it really does help uh, me to, you know, stay on track and to get back on track. Uh, I think for me as well, uh, spiritually, I always try to have a news resolution. And the one that I've been praying through and the one that I really believe the Lord has laid on my heart is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Uh, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. And that's something that I want to, from the beginning, uh, just set at the forefront. It's going to be my year verse. And I really believe that, personally, that's something that I need. But I think it's something that we as a church need, too. Not that you have to have that verse as your church verse, right? But it's something that we have to have in our lives beginning 2022. And... I really believe that trusting in the Lord is something that we as a congregation corporately and personally uh, need in our lives And so that's what i'm going to talk on as far as New Year's resolutions this idea of trusting in the Lord And there is a verse that I believe is perfect for the idea of trusting in the Lord It's actually a song and what I believe to be the greatest song of all time You know songs motivate us to get over even the most difficult things don't they? They inspire us even to overcome the uncertainties of life. Sometimes when we just want to feel secure, we pop in you know, our headphones and we listen to our favorite song. Well, this morning, I want this passage to be a song that you will go to again and again as you trust in the Lord with all your heart. And that is found in Psalm chapter 23. Did you know that the Psalms literally are songs in hebrew uh, that's all it means it's a song and it's a song to god now why is this song the most fitting song at this time in this new year of 2022 well let me give you two reasons number one i believe it's the most fitting song because the song is divine psalm 23 as well as all the other psalms are divinely inspired by god 2 Timothy three sixteen says all Scripture is God. God breathed, right? I know people either hate it or love it, but I, I like doing it. Okay, God breathed. That Psalm twenty three had a human author, David, who was the king of Israel, but God breathed, right? His very ideas into this song. Wilson, you might not want to. Well, praise team, you might not want to use this as we go. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think about that. Okay. But David is the instrument. He's the singer-songwriter. But God superintended the writing of this song. And so it expresses what God desires for us to hear. So it's a divine song, number one. But number two, it's the most fitting song of 2022 for us as Renew Church because of what this song promises. 2022 is full of problems. Every year is. And many of you, you're facing real-life problems right now. Maybe you have issues of uh, a loved one who has dementia or Alzheimer's. Maybe you're facing a debilitating illness. Maybe you've just seen the passing of a loved one. But these are problems that you're facing. Maybe there's uncertainty in your life. You've just lost a job, right? You don't know what your career or what your life trajectory is going to go at this year. Or maybe you've had an unexpected circumstance happen that almost feels like a calamity. Or maybe you've had a relationship malfunction in your life. All these problems really get us to fear life. Because if we're really honest about it, 2022 can be a very fearful time for us. Right? You turn on the news and you see that there's terrorism around us, that there are nations that are trying to swallow up other countries or other nations. When we turn on the local news, we see crime. We see recession. We see corruption. We see, of course, another COVID-19 variant, Omicron, right? And so it's very easy for us to have a posture of fear. I remember years ago, a noted uh, anchor, uh, Katie Couric uh, shared on the rise of terrorism she said this and I think it was one of the most honest things that a newscaster said in a uh, in a live uh, news feed she said this I'm filled with so much anxiety as I live in the 21st century and you have to fight from becoming fatalistic and you have to just hope that good can triumph over evil how many of you have ever felt that way that everything just seemed to be closing in around you and you just kind of have to wish that good can triumph over evil Well, you know psalm 23 is a fitting song for us because it promises so much more than just wishful thinking Psalm 23 inspires and instructs and influences us Us to look at life from the perspective of a child of God So let's get into the context For this song when was it written when we read this song the psalm in its entirety we sense great optimism have you ever read psalm 23 and you just felt good after reading it i mean it's such a it's such a beautiful optimistic type of song so we think of david writing this at a good time in his life we picture him on his throne healthy and happy we picture his family around him his wife and his children Loving and adoring him we picture his kingdom experiencing peace and great prosperity But can I share with you that at the writing of psalm 23 nothing could be further from the truth The historical context for this and if you want to study this later, you can jot this down The historical context is second samuel chapter 15 through chapter 18 And it's here that we see david not as a young king, but as an elderly king He had been a king for a very long time and his son absalom whom he loved did the most despicable thing that a son could do to a father this bright beautiful charismatic man went secretly into the marketplace to secretly campaign to be king imagine if your son was secretly a traitor a spreading seeds of treason and so he gathered support from the officials of David's court and he won over the top advisor to David Ahithophel he would be what we would think of as a secretary of state to the president here in the United States and so Absalom won all of these people over and at the right time he went to Hebron and he publicly proclaimed himself the king of Israel and he gathered the support of israel's army and with that army he went to the capital to kill and depose his father david that is the context so think about this all of a sudden david is forced to flee into the wilderness now the wilderness is where he used to hide from king saul long ago when he was young but now david is an old man he's not young anymore You know, there's a saying, the older you get, the scarier you get. Have you ever heard that saying? The older you get, the scarier you get. And that's so true, that when you're old, you become more fearful, because you've lived life, because you understand the dangers, you understand the possibilities of everything going south. And you don't have the strength, or the vitality, or the stamina, as you once did in your youth. So here we see an old man, and every fear is being realized in his life. The fear of rejection, the son whom he loved, the advisor whom he trusted, the people whom he ruled. The fear of ridicule that everywhere he goes, people begin to mock him and curse him and close their doors to him. The fear of failure that he has lost everything instantly without warning. One minute he was on the throne, and the next minute he's fleeing in the wilderness. The fear of destruction, that his son, whom he loved, Absalom, and Israel's army, who should be serving him, are hunting him down like some dog to kill him. You see, this is when David writes the lyrics to this song. And in verse 1, it says this. Can we put it up? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. David says that because God is his shepherd, he doesn't need anything else. What? In light of all that's going on, how can you say this, David? It's because David focuses not on his fears. David actually focuses on who his shepherd is. I want you to notice the word capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. Here, this is the name of the Lord. And this is uh, the meaning of the self-sufficient, self-sustaining, utterly independent, sovereign God. It's the same word that was used at the burning bush when Moses stood before the Lord and the Lord said, I am who I am. I am completely sovereign over the affairs of men. And you see, David acknowledges then who he is in light of this great I am, in light of this divine shepherd. Now, I have done, because I've done college ministry for so, so many years, I've done this icebreaker literally hundreds of times. But have you ever done an icebreaker, maybe in business or in college, where you, where you did what animal best describes you? Have you ever done that before? What is your spirit animal, right? And I've done this hundreds of times. And I've had people share some very unique animals to share who they are. Uh, it's usually very unique or very majestic or very, you know, fearsome. I like to always say, you know, I picture myself like a lion, right? Because I I have all these qualities of a lion. I want to look brave, be confident, and and be wonderful. But all of us have those kinds of things. I have never in my life when we've done these icebreakers had anybody say to me, you know, I'm more like a domesticated sheep. That's, That's what I am, you know? Nobody says that. Nobody compares themselves to a domesticated sheep. You know why? Because sheep are not a flattering picture of who we are, right? Sheep are fundamentally stupid. They're fundamentally uh, vulnerable. They're fundamentally dependent on others to stay alive. And if left to themselves, a domesticated sheep cannot survive in the wilderness. You know, this is what the Bible says that human beings are likened to. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says, We all like sheep. Have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. You see, so many of us, we run from the shepherd thinking that we don't need him, but not David. Here he makes a profound declaration, I am a sheep who desperately needs a shepherd. You see, David realizes if God is my shepherd, if I have a relationship with him where he is shepherding me, then I don't need anything else. Why? Because let's look in verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, it's fascinating that in the Hebrew language, the emphasis of this verse is not in the locational noun, but on the descriptive adjective. So the emphasis is on the adjective. Let me say it this way, as if it were written in Hebrew. The shepherd makes me lie down in pastures green. The shepherd leads me beside water's quiet. The emphasis is on green, and it's on quiet. Now, why is that? You know, before we do anything else, I've done this uh, exercise with you many, many times. If you would just uh, do it again for me, right? Humor me. Uh, Put your hand on top of your head. Would you do that? Thank you. Okay, many of you know what I'm going to do. I want you to take off your 21st century baseball cap. Would you do that? Alright? Take off your Dodgers cap right now, okay? Put it in a very nice place, okay? And then I want you to now put your hand back on top of your head, okay? And now this symbolizes that you put on the ancient sudra, the ancient shepherd sudra. What I'm doing is I'm asking you guys to take off your 21st century understanding of things and to put on the ancient understanding. Because if we, uh, as interpretation, if we a look at things from our 21st century perspective, we can miss out on so much, right? We can misunderstand what Scripture is trying to say. So we have to go back to the original intent, the original cultural meaning. Okay, so we've done that already. Now, this is important. The contemporary mindset when we read this passage is He makes me, He leads me. We think of obedience training when we train a dog, right? We think of Caesar Milan, where you are the pack leader and you are making your dog do what it's supposed to do right we think of forcing sheep to sit to lie down and to drink but you know what you can't force a sheep to lie down now I've never been around sheep okay I think I've petted some in my life but I've never been around sheep but what I've read was and you know and understanding in my studies I see that you cannot force a sheep to lie down you cannot the hardest thing you can do is force a sheep to do anything because they are fundamentally stupid, right? You can't train them to relax and to rest. So all their conditions have to be met. A sheep must feel a sense of security. They must feel freedom from frustration before they will ever lie down. So what the ancient Near East Shepherd has to do is he has to actively look for the perfect place, the pastures that are green. He has to remove all the hindrances and obstacles and dangers so that that sheep can feel secure enough to lie down. Do you know that you can't make a sheep drink from a running stream? Again, a sheep is scared even of a running stream. So the ancient Near East Shepherd has to actively manipulate the stream. He has to design and arrange the dams to bind up those streams. He has to create and find an oasis of still water where the sheep can feel secure enough to drink. You might say, that's crazy, right? I don't want to be a shepherd. How much work is that? But that's precisely what David is saying in verse 2. He's saying, my God is actively, personally involved in my life. He's preparing those pastures that are the greenest. He's preparing those streams that are the quietest. So that in him, I can feel a sense of security. He cares for me even in the details of my life. Can I get an amen? Isn't that good? You know, David says this in the Gospels, and I've shared this a couple weeks ago, but it bears to repeat again. Jesus in the Gospel tells tells us not to worry, and he uses all these illustrations in the Gospels. He says, consider the lilies. They're insignificant, yet God clothes them. Consider the ravens. Insignificant, yet God feeds them. Consider the sparrows. Insignificant, yet God pays attention to them. Consider the very hairs on your head. They are insignificant, yet God numbers them. So the argument is from lesser to greater. If God cares for insignificant things like hair and lilies and sparrows and ravens, won't he actively, intimately care even more for those that he counts as his significant children? See, that's what David declares, that since God is that kind of shepherd to him, verse 2, He restores my soul. Verse 3, let's look at it. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Here David points out that God guides him to right paths. You know, today when we think of the wilderness, we think of going out to camp. We think of going to the Angelus Crest Forest and having fun and doing, you know, a family camp out. But that's not what David is referring to here. The land of Israel the wilderness was an extremely dangerous place. Meaning that if you didn't understand, right, the paths of the wilderness, you could be on stable ground one second and fall a thousand feet to your death the next second. One wrong move and you could plummet to your death. The idea was that the topography of Israel was treacherous and unpredictable. And by the way, I've had friends ...who have gone to Israel, they've always gotten guides when they go out into the wilderness. Guides that know their way because they could literally fall off and die. Now, why is this important? Well, let's go back to the context in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 18 and verse 8. Let me share this with you. When the armies of David and Absalom finally do meet in the wilderness, the battle takes over 20,000 men. David finally wins, okay, in 1 Samuel chapter 18... But here's what it says in verse 8. I think this is really interesting. It says, The battle spread out over the whole countryside, and the wilderness claimed more lives that day than did the sword. What is that telling us? That more soldiers died falling off of cliffs, plummeting to their deaths, than they did by actual combat. And most of these were Absalom's men. Absalom's men were killed... By the cliffs, by not knowing the right paths, David understood the right paths. He knew the wilderness, and so he won a great victory. Why was that? It's because the paths that we face can be treacherous and can be uh, destructive in our lives. But David is saying this, my God knows the right paths. He makes sure I walk down the secure and the righteous ones. You see, so many paths in life can lead to destruction, right? We are finite, we're fallible, uh, we can only see what's in front of us. We don't know the beginning from the end. And that's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. You see, we need a GPS for life. A God-positioning satellite that can guide us into those things that are right and healthy and prosperous and successful for us. And David acknowledges that if I follow the shepherd, that's really all I need. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now again, understand the context. David is in a dangerous, treacherous place. He's in the shadow of death. He and his party are At the verge of being completely wiped out. Absalom and his advisor Ahithophel are hunting him down. 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 2 Ahithophel advises Absalom. This is what he says in verse 2 I will choose 12,000 men (coughs) and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him while he is weak and weary, and I would strike him with fear. That's the exact words that are used. In verse 4, for the idea, I will fear no evil. You see, David proclaims that he doesn't fear the evil. Now, it doesn't mean that evil isn't present in his situation. It doesn't mean that the danger isn't there. There's danger lurking around every corner. But what David is saying is he knows not to focus on the danger. You see, God doesn't erase evil that is present in our lives. And we can't expect that 2022 won't be full of evil. God simply shows us how to focus on him. You know, um, there's an illustration. It's one of my favorites. Uh, that when a wolf comes into the, the, the shepherds, into the flock of sheep, his goal is to scatter the sheep. But what a shepherd will do And they've been doing that in the ancient Near East for as long as uh, there have been shepherds. A shepherd will stand on a rock, and he will make a call. He will make a call that the sheep all know. They know his voice. They see him on that rock. And what they will do is they will do something very counterintuitive to scattering. They will actually draw closer. As the shepherd calls his certain call, the sheep will come together and actually trap the wolf so that the shepherd come, can come and dispatch the wolf at his, at, at his time. Isn't that beautiful? That's what is happening here. David is choosing not to fear the wolf, not to scatter and run. He's choosing rather to focus entirely on the shepherd and on the shepherd's call. You see, we find confidence when we fix our eyes not on the situation, but rather on the shepherd. You know, situations can be fearful, can't they? Right? Fears, fearful circumstances can occur in our lives. But we find comfort uh, in the valley when we walk with God through the valley of the shadow of death. Can I share this with you? David's been in the valleys before. Remember, he, he's been a shepherd all, uh, all his uh, youth. And as a young man running from King Saul, he had to find refuge in the valleys. He hasn't forgotten the truths that he had learned from the valley experiences. Even as an old man, he doesn't fear the valleys. Why? Because he's learned something in the valleys. Verse four, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These are the tools of an ancient Near East shepherd. The rod, that was the short 18-inch club that was used as a weapon to kill predators and to protect the sheep. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, the euphemism that Israel was protected by God was this idea that all the people of Israel passed under the rod of God. This is the idea of the protection of God. Not only that, but there's also this idea of a staff. And we know, you know, all shepherds, we, we have that picture in our minds because we've seen, you know, movies or we've seen uh, pictures of that long, rod, or long staff with the crook at the end. That's used by the shepherd to guide paths, to guide the sheep along and deliver them from the pits and the, the snares, potentially, that could harm them. David is saying that even in the valleys, there is comfort because God is actively protecting me and delivering me in dangerous places. And specifically, we see it in verse 5. This is one of my favorites. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence... Of my enemies. Have you ever read this and thought, this is so weird? This is so strange, okay? I don't understand this. Remember, you guys have your sutras on, don't you? Right? Let me explain this. Let me, let me share a story with you uh, first. When I was in seventh grade, <coughs> beginning junior high, there was a group of eighth graders that would always bully us. They would always, like, you know, uh, try to find us and do terrible things to us. Uh, I remember uh, me and my friend, uh, we were in seventh grade. After class, we were walking to our other class, and we saw those three eighth graders that always tormented us, okay? And so the, the, the minute we saw them, the first reaction was to run. And so we began to run, and they began to chase us. And I remember we ran into the bathroom. Worst place to go, right? Because then you're, you're cornered. But we're seventh graders. What do we know? So we run into the bathroom. And we're, you know, they're going to give us swirlies. They're going to do something to us. I remember we run in there, and the minute I run in there, I see this ninth grader, Brett, and I get so happy because Brett loved me for some reason. I was a seventh grader. He was a ninth grader, football player, wrestler. But for some reason, he really liked me, you know? And Brett was my friend. And the minute we ran in there, we, uh, we ran behind Brett as he was washing his hands, right, in the bathroom. We ran behind him, and we just... You know, we were there like rabbits, right, under, under a rock. And I remember those 8th graders came in, and the minute, you know, they saw us, they saw Brett. And the fear that came over their eyes, oh, it was wonderful, when they ran in. And they saw Brett, and we, they saw that we were attached to Brett, and Brett was our friend. And I remember I picked up on that fear, and so I looked at them, I go, what are you going to do? What's up, you know? And I began to taunt them. Why? Because I knew that they could not get to us, right? unless they first got to bread. That's the idea that is happening. If a desert dweller opened his tent to you, if he set a meal before you, if he made you an honored guest in the presence of all of your enemies, he was sending a message to everyone around that I am a friend to this person. I am on their side, and if you wanna harm them, you've gotta go through me first. Isn't that beautiful? That the great I am is the one that fights our battles for us. That we don't have to go out and try to fight our battles on our own. Know that God is there to protect us, to guide us, and to even fight our battles for us. Verse 5, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Again, we've got to keep that sutra on to understand this, because if we have our baseball caps on, we're thinking, that sounds terrible. If you came to my house and you poured Trader Joe's uh, coconut oil on my head, I would punch you in the face because that would be insulting to me. But understand, in the ancient context, right? Desert In a desert culture, oil is considered extremely precious. It was used for hygiene. It was used to clean pores from the desert sand. It was used as medicine to treat sunburn and chapped lips and dry skin. It was used cosmetically in perfumes to make you smell good in the ancient culture oil was a precious commodity if somebody were to dump oil over you he was sending a message again water is so important and we live in a semi-desert community we understand this water is an absolute necessity so it's very valuable when rain had come for the past two or three days nobody cursed the rain here in california like you would do in the midwest or somewhere oh, i can't stand rain seattle oh i can't stand rain california's like bring on the rain why because rain in a desert culture is so precious. It's, uh, it's, we use it sparingly. We're, you know, we're afraid that uh, we might go into drought, and so water is valuable. If a desert dweller pour, poured oil and water to excess on you, he was making a statement of how important you are in his eyes. He is lavishing you. He is heaping favor upon you. Do you understand the picture? I think it's so beautiful. That God not only cares for you, he sees you as his most precious. He loves you, and he's uh, extravagantly pouring upon you his favor. How do I know this? Verse 6, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Here, David is absolutely confident that he will receive that all the days of his life. How do you know this? David, you've been rejected. Your son has has expressed a coup upon you, right? doesn't sound like God's love. David, you're being hunted down like some animal. It doesn't sound like God's goodness. You're experiencing the worst trial of your life. How can you be so confident in God's goodness and love? Can I share with you a New Testament passage, Romans 8, 28, and 29? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What is the good? Well, verse 29 says it. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. You see, the goodness and the love of God is shown in his intent to develop you to be more and more like Jesus in your life. The reason you can rejoice in God's goodness and love all the days of your life is that God has a plan for you. He is developing you and maturing you through the things that you're facing right now. And we can count it joy, just like James says, when trials happen in our lives, when problems occur in our lives, because that's another way for God's goodness and love to develop us to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. This is the word of God. So David... How are you so confident about life? Because the Lord is his shepherd, that God sovereignly leads. And God intimately is at work in meeting his needs. And God guides him in right paths so he succeeds. And God protects him by his powerful deeds. You see, the Lord is completely involved in his life. Verse 6 says it well, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I really believe this is the greatest promise of all. That God, that David fixes his focus not on his earthly situation, his temporary situation, but really on his eternal heavenly home. That David says, what does it matter? What happens right now? I am forever and forever secure with God in his temple, in his house. And that's what I want to leave you with, brothers and sisters. The reason why David can deal with fear The reason why he can manage difficulty, the reason why he can handle uncertainty, is that David is not looking at the here and now. No, David is looking at eternity with God. You see, this life is a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. What is that compared to eternity? So David is saying, listen, let's not focus on the dwelling now. Let's focus our eyes on the Lord and his house forever. Hey, does this song motivate you? Does it inspire you? It it, it does for me. It tells me that if I have that shepherd, then that's all that I need. Because verse two, he leads me from the front. Verse three, he guides me from behind. Verse four, he is walking by my side. Verse five, I see his provision right now in my life. Verse six, his goodness and love follow me everywhere I go. And in verse 6, he says, I have eternity and all of eternity to share with him. You see, David is emphasizing through verbs and preposition through the lyrics of this song that the shepherd is surrounding you in his perfect love. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge that he's doing this in your life, and he'll direct your paths. He'll make it fruitful and successful in the way that he wants. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And as I'm praying, could I ask the the worship team to come up? They're going to lead you, and I really believe, a prayer, a congregational prayer, to trust in the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time that we're able to come together to hear your word. But Lord, in hearing it, we pray that we would apply it. That 2022 would start with a perspective change in our lives, that we would not focus on the trouble and fears, but that our perspective would be that the Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I want for nothing. We pray, Lord, that that would be our life first as a church this new year. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.
2: Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Erwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast, or you can visit our website. And your investment is tax-deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.